You're listening to The Hoof of the Horse, a podcast dedicated to farriery and equine science with Dr. Simon Curtis. Sponsorship for our episode today comes from the Hoof Care Essentials Foundation and their partners, Former Hoof Limited. Today I'm visiting uh, Rossdale's Equine Hospital, which is the biggest equine hospital in Europe, and I'm catching up with Josie Meehan. Uh, that's a slight change of direction for us because prior to this, the uh, six or eight podcasts that have now come out as Hoof of the Horse podcasts have been with farriers. Uh, so we're making two changes of direction here. One, we're talking to a lady, and the other is uh, Josie is not a farrier, although she does know an awful lot about farriers and she knows even more about the horse's hoof. Uh, so welcome Josie. Thank you Simon. Uh, now, um, you are a radiographer at Rostows yeah. and you've been a radiographer here for how long? Uh, so radiographer since 1991. Uh, I came here as a vet nurse in 1987 and at that time of course there was nobody really, um, technicians didn't really do that job in the UK, it was always the vets who did their own x-ray and imaging. So for me it was a really interesting area to have the opportunity to get involved in. And that was before the hospital was built? Yes, it was, yeah. Down so we the old place, down in Newmarket. Completely down at Newmarket um, with Rob Pillsworth and I was um, with him setting up the scintigraphy bone scan unit and then we totally outgrew the premises. So he, they found this place here and started the diagnostic centre here and that opened in 1991. Well, I used to go down there and shoe and the only place I could shoe was in the pre-op room. <laughs> and so if they were going to have an operation on a horse, they'd yeah. kick me out. Yeah. Uh, but of course, that, that unit still exists, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's it does. just yeah. getting permission to be yeah. where all the laboratories expanded. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. They're extending the laboratory, which of course, I mean, people always think of Rossdale's as being the veterinary practice, but we have a, a massive um, laboratory. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's extending and the offices and down in the new market practice so there aren't there won't be horses there anymore but the ambulatory guys all work out of there so it's still very pivotal fundamental mm. part of the practice the ever-growing empire roster <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so um you came across here uh, from ireland what part of ireland did you live in so i lived in um the midlands and i always wanted to work with horses but there isn't really much money in horses if you're a woman at the time. And I wanted a qualification, something to do. So I thought about vet nursing, which was purely small animal, the qualification, but most of the practices were mixed at the time. So the practice that I went to in Wicklow was, again, I was very lucky. It was a lovely practice. It was very progressive. And um, so they did horse work, cattle work. I spent my time TB testing and taking blood samples from cows' tails. Um, Lovely. But, um, which I enjoyed a lot, but the small animal side was very interesting and actually really surprised me how much I enjoyed it because I was doing it as a means to an ends. So um, I worked there 
And then I went to Berkshire College of Agriculture just before I went to do my finals, because actually the interesting bit was that probably the one bit I liked least was x-ray, <laughs> which is quite funny in my training. Um, but we didn't, uh, we didn't do a huge amount of it. So um, then as soon as I got qualified, I got a job at Early Stud in Kildare, which was a big operation at the time. I think they had three or four studs. And I got a job there just to learn the ropes and then did the foaling. Um, so I did a season there and they didn't, I really wanted to do yearlings, but girls didn't really do yearlings in those days. Um, so I got a job working for John Hughes, who was the head vet at early, but he had his own stud. Um, so I worked there for two years and did sales, did some, um, um, he had, uh, he did some um, artificial inseminations at the time, not on thoroughbreds, in, in show jumpers, which was his sort of family interest. And so there were, wherever I've worked, I've been very lucky. There's been lots of um, people sort of pushing forward and doing different things. Um, then it was through him I came over for the sales and we had a sick foal. And I met um, Nick Wingfield Digby and Sarah Stoneham at the time who looked after the foal and I thought, gosh, I think I might like to work at Rossdale's. So I went home and packed my bag and collected my dog and came to Newmarket. Um, got a job the day I arrived in a pub and uh, <laughs> yeah. was there for about two months. And then the guy who cleaned at Rossdale's came in. He went, oh, I'm really surprised you didn't go for that nurse's job at Rossdale's. And I was like, what? Because I, I sent them a letter. Yeah. So I marched up and saw Tim Greet and was like, can't believe you know I'm the most employable vet nurse in, in Newmarket and he gave me a job but um, there wasn't really a job at the time so I was on the rota in surgery but they had a full complement of nurses but an area that I saw where there wasn't a huge amount of assistance and help was in diagnostics so I sort of by default almost shoehorned in that way and helping like Rob Pillsworth and uh, Neil Stevens, uh, who were assistants at the time, um, helped them with X-ray and you know ultrasound and. They've all gone. All these people you've mentioned. I know. Do you think it's me? No, no. I, I think I think it's me as well, Josie. Because I think I always said, you know, when you're getting old, when the vets seem young, well, they all seem young to me exactly. now. Exactly. And uh, all those great partners that were here that built the practice, yeah, have moved on, haven't they? Really? Yeah. Well, well, they've moved on, not passed on, yeah, they've no, uh, no, retired yeah. and. Uh, um, yeah. But it was interesting because you were at the beginning, I could, like the scintigraphy, bone scan, yeah. um, there was only one or two places in the world doing that. And we started and then, you know, we're, we're sort of doing it and we're like, oh, gosh, I wish there'd been a noddy guide when we started. So, you know, I was involved in writing um, the book uh, with, uh, again, Rob Pillsworth and people from all over the world were contributing to this. So there was a lot of satisfaction from... That. Just, just for the benefit of everybody, yeah. for the benefit of everybody, can you um, just tell us what scintigraphy is? So scintigraphy is bone scan. So um, if you think of an X-ray as a two D picture that you take of a three D structure, bone scan you inject um, or scintigraphy you inject um, a radioactive substance which is mixed with a bone seeking agent. So you inject it into the horse intravenously, it goes all around the body and sticks in the bone. And where you have more bone activity, 
as in arthritis or bone trying to heal, you get um, um, a lot more activity. And then we take a picture of that. So the difference between x-ray, x-ray is like a static picture mm. of the bone and scintigraphy is a record of the activity in the bone. So when you put those together, it gives you a lot of information. I'll try and put up a picture uh, when this podcast yeah. comes out because yeah. I, scintigraphy is one of those things that you don't have to be trained to recognise the horse's leg. Mm -hmm. And if you know your anatomy... Yeah. And you get these hot spots, don't yes, you? Yes, you do, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's sort of fairly unspecific, though, isn't it? It, it tells you whether there's a problem, but it doesn't tell you always what the problem no, is. No, but that's, that's the beauty of a lot of the imaging, and it's about cross-referencing them, and it's about, you know, one set of imaging may not give you the answer, but you put them together, and it, you can then put a picture together. Equally, you can look at an X-ray and see a line and not be able to evaluate that to the significance of it, but you put that with a bone scan and you realise it's hot, you realise it's possibly a fracture trying to heal. Um, it's also useful for monitoring healing. So, um, you know, sometimes pedal bone fractures, for example, you see them on x-ray and you're like, gosh, I wonder how long that's been there, because sometimes they can appear the same. The horse is sound, but you x-ray them a year down the line and you can still see a line. So it's useful for to, to see the sort of the degree of healing and what stage you're at. Now, I had got a question here which says, were well, you always a radiographer? But you've answered that already. Oh. <laughs> and, um, but if we move on to that, how did you really get into radiography um, here at Rostov? It was, I mean, there was once, so I helped. So it was always, hands were short on the ground. So um, I tended to plate and uh, look after the equipment and develop the x-rays for which would be seen as, as, as a nursing task. Um, and then as we got busier and busier, there was sort of like, there was one specific day when Rob couldn't do it and he couldn't get back to the practice. And uh, I said, well, I don't mind doing it. And he was like, oh, that's a great idea. He said, oh, in America they use technicians. So um, I did that, which was like, for me, was immensely rewarding. It was grand. He came back and he was like, wow, look at this. And was, you know, showing everybody the fact that I'd taken these images. And he was like, well, this is a brilliant idea. So then when um, the diagnostic centre opened, he asked me to come up here as radiographer. So that was when that, you know, so I, from doing radiography to becoming the radiographer up here. So that's when that and, and of course when you started there was still conventional yes x-rays can yeah. if you can just tell us how they okay. worked so they're a piece of film yeah. uh, you have a cassette with two screens and a piece of film in the middle and when the the screens are made up of little crystals um set in a plastic base basically so and when an x-ray hits the crystal it lights up and emits a little bit of light and then that exposes the film. So then when I came here first, um, we used to wet develop. So we had a developer, fixer and water. Gosh, I haven't thought Just about that for so many years. And I had a clothesline with little clothes pegs and I would open the cassettes in the dark. You know, you develop, wash, fix, wash, have a look and then hang them up to dry. So um, that's how we did it. That we then got a automatic developer which was still a wet system but um, it had tanks and rollers so you went into the dark room you took the film out of the cassette 
you popped it in and it went through and came out dry out the other end in about two minutes incredible um, but that was still conventional um, and then we had that for a long time um, and then about maybe 10 or 15 years ago we went digital oh, I can remember that yeah and that was incredible because um, we uh, uh, yeah it was just amazing because you know certain things like looking after the processes was such a difficult job and trying to keep everything consistent so that you got consistent results was hard um, but the digital was amazing and it was also very forgiving um, and you could manipulate the image. I don't use manipulate in a... In a no, I, I, know, you know. I know, you can up and down the contrast. Absolutely. So previously, if you were trying to look... So a lateral foot, for example. So you're doing a lateral foot to look at laminitis. So you do a soft exposure to look at... So you could perhaps see the lamini, or even softer exposure to look for a gas shadow. Quite punchy exposure if you wanted to look through the navicular bone to look for you know, sort of how dense it was. So all of a sudden, you've got three x-rays to look at one thing. With the digital x-ray, you can change it after you've taken it. As long as you have, it's not totally forgiving, so you have to have a, 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 a you know, a, a good exposure, but within that, you can play with the exposures. And so I have to take all the skill out then? No, a little bit. Yeah, well, there's all the, yeah. I think, aligning x-rays. I think even farriers understand that. They give yeah. They get given the x-rays and um, they can see if they're, you know, if they're one or two degrees out. They change the story, don't they? Yeah, it's really funny actually talking about degrees, but um, it always amazes me how sensitive your eyes are, you know, when you're measuring things like angles. Yeah. And um, you, sort, you look at something clinically and you think, gosh, you know, like offset knees or something, or it must be the same, like, same with foot balance. And you look at it and you think, gosh, that's pretty terrible. And then you measure it and it's three or four degrees. Yeah. And it makes you realise how sensitive your eyes yeah. are. I, I, I always say that about looking at horses when people say they're on-footed, farriers. Mm -hmm. You know, from 30 foot away, they'll see they're on-footed. And if you actually measure them, yeah, it's an eighth of an inch. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, you know, so our eyes, although we don't have, cal the only problem is we don't have calibration in our eyes. Yeah. So we can't, but, but we can see things yeah. still and... Um, but anyway, that, that's a great explanation of conventional radiography. Mm -hmm. And so I don't understand how the digital radiography works. You, you just put the same case in and it feeds straight so, into the... So, it's, um, so basically you have um, a detector or a, a plate and it, react, it reacts to the radiation. So you shoot the x-rays at the body part. Um, depending on the density of what you're going through, the x-rays are absorbed or don't get through or blocked in certain ways. So the bone blocks quite a bit of the x-ray, but air lets everything through. So around the bit your x-ray will be black. Um, things like lungs will be quite black, air, gas shadows. Um, and depending on, say, on the density is what gets delivered to the plate. Um, and that gives you the different sort of levels of shades of grey from one thing to another um, and that's all like com computer generated if you like yeah. after the event. Um, I mean now it's even more like we've got direct radiography here as yeah. well and there are plates that at one stage had a great big wire attached to them to the computer and it's virtually instant um, but now they're wireless as well so um, and they can you know that the old days of taking x-rays 
driving back to the practice, developing in them and realised the machine wasn't working properly, they're gone <laughs> because you can retake immediately on the on the. On yeah, the because they have these beautiful little laptop systems, aren't yeah. they? Ambulatory systems, yeah, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's been a great boon, you know, now for farriers who are on site. Totally. And, uh, you know, you don't have to bring the horse into the yeah. hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, they can get an instant result mm -hmm. before they trim, after they trim, yeah. with the shoes on. And it's all done in minutes and it doesn't take any time up at all. That also is showing the importance of the collaboration between um, you know, vets and farriers, yeah. which is also something I've been incredibly passionate about, is having the, the people who are doing the job both ways have got the right information. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's fantastic if they can both be there, but you don't have to both be there now. You know, with again with digital, it's so easy to share images with people. And I think it's also important for farriers to ask for them. Yeah. You know, it's not always, if, if the vet's remote from the farrier, you may not have that connection or, um, you know, a, a, a conversation up and running with them. But ask, you know, ask if the feet have been x-rayed, ask, you, ask your owner or vet to send them to you so you yeah. can look and see you what look you're doing. Look at them on your phone. Yeah. And yeah. you know, um, you can imagine, I mean, Rostyle's one of the thing, reasons I loved it and love being here. Yeah is they were always cutting edge, open-minded, no names given, but another practice, oh, to view an X-ray, it was, you know, the biggest secret in the world, an X-ray, it was this mysterious object, I'm talking 25 years yeah, ago, yeah. and you had to go in and practically beg to see yeah. the X-ray. But sometimes it gets a little bit lost in, you know, one person asking a secretary, asking a receptionist, yeah. so to be fair, sometimes it's that, and if you don't have that connection, I mean, I, I sort of, I always hope that I can sometimes be that connection between people. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, the office will put a farrier through to me and then I'll run, do the chasing and find out, you know, are you happy for them? And they're always happy. You know, they're always happy for people to see the images. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all working to the same ends yeah. and we all want to do a good job with all the information that's available to us. Now, we've covered radiography quite a bit for obvious reasons, since that's your uh, vocation. Yeah. Um, and we've even had to talk about scintigraphy, but there's even other imaging modes nowadays, aren't there? Yeah, there are. I mean, there, there's ultrasound, obviously, which uh, we don't always think about necessarily in, um, in relation to the foot. But, you know, there are things that you can, you can, you can definitely ultrasound. And then, of course, there's MRI, which is... Um, not an area of my speciality at all, but it has made such a massive difference to um, the information we um, we sort of receive looking at the foot. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, that's definitely for me. That's quite a specialised subject, and that's probably almost a, a subject for well, another. Well, I, I have to say, and um, this is not an advert, but of course, you you wrote a section. On imaging for corrective farrier one, I think it's chapter three. Oh, <laughs> uh, and that has these modes in, yeah. um, and and there's a really nice description of MRI, and so I'm not going to try and say um, that there, there's uh, it, it basically works, doesn't it, by by um, by the water molecules mm -hmm. vibrating, mm -hmm. and it picks up the water that, and it does fat molecules as yeah. well, doesn't it? Uh, and you get this other... So, so what you're getting, I think, with MRI is you're getting a three-dimensional 
object that is sliced wherever you want it sliced. It is, and they, they do many studies at, at many different angles, yeah. and it's uh, it's fascinating. And, and what I find fascinating is seeing the people who work in that department um, and how much information it adds subsequently to your x-rays. So I can sort of compare it to scintigraphy. So when I look at an x-ray, a lot of the time, because I was involved with scintigraphy a lot, I sort of can quite often think, I know how that's going to look on bone scan. Or if I look at a bone scan image, I sort of relate that back to x-ray. And what's quite interesting now is because they look at the soft tissues and, you know, like collateral ligaments where they attack, they look at much more on an, on, on an x-ray. It's like side bones, for example. Um, we used to ignore them to such a huge degree because it was very difficult to figure out what was significant and what isn't. But now with the information that you get from MRI, it's made it, you know, they will look at um, side bones in a, in a much more, we think they're more of a problem than we used to think they were yeah. because we didn't have all the information. The one we haven't covered, which I know you've got here, and I love the images, is um, computer-aided tomography. Yeah, ones. CT. Sometimes called CT, yeah. computer yeah. tomography. Um, and that's three-dimensional radiographs. Yes, it, it is. Yeah. yeah, so it's basically, it gives you um, 3D images of what you're looking at. So um, it, the horse's body part, we do a lot more heads than anything else. It's really good for looking at heads. And well, it's good for looking at any part, but it's, you know, we do, we use it specifically for heads here, really more than anything. Um, and it basically, the, the, x-ray machine rotates around the head and moves along so almost like in a spiral and takes slice after slice after slice as it's going around and then the computer puts them together so you can look at slices through them which is gives you so much information or you can reconstruct them into 3ds and for things like heads because heads are really complicated part to x-ray um, but we use it for fractures like before surgery so if we Again, um, x-ray, you have to have quite a change on x-ray to see it. Mm. So things like a fracture that comes in, it's not always evident immediately the extent of it. So you can see there's a fracture, but perhaps not how far or whether it propagates. So we will not infrequently um, knock them out for surgery in CT, do a CT of the part that's about to be um, um, repaired. And then as that's wheeled through to theatre, they'll reconstruct that and that gives the surgeons more information. Yeah, I'd have to say, maybe because I'm, like most Barry, as a visual person, CT for me is the favourite. Oh, I love it. But um, just love that's it. just almost yeah. from an aesthetic point of view. What I'll try and do is, again, when this, when this podcast comes out, yeah. I'll try and put some up. I might even sweet talk uh, Sarah to see if we can get some new stuff to put up. Absolutely. Just to show them, yeah. uh, just to show our listeners some of the, you know, some of these wonderful images. Yeah, they're beautiful. That we she, can get. she does some beautiful sort of video reconstruction. I think that's the thing people that's don't realise that you, yeah. they often see them, uh, you know. And in my latest book, it's just a still picture. Yeah. But when you see them, when they can manipulate them, yeah. uh, rotate them, yeah. whatever way, uh, it just gives you so much information. Yeah. And that's one of the things about X-ray. So you're looking at a two D picture which is why we do so many images, because sometimes people are like, oh gosh, why are they taking all those pictures? And it's because 
almost in your head, you're then reconstructing it in 3D so you could get, you know, a whole idea of what's happening and, you know, the extent of whatever you're looking at. Well, I know that if there's an, uh, I'm not saying an artifact, but some object that shows up. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's sometimes difficult to work out where it is from the next yeah, day. Because yeah. the depth has been collapsed, yeah, hasn't it? Totally, it yeah, totally. In, into into yeah. a single plane. Uh, so that's always quite interesting. Yeah. And of course, some of the, these other modes don't have that problem. But they take an awful lot of computer power, don't they, to... Yeah, to generate yeah, these wonderful do. images. It's, um, I mean, I think it's interesting because we always think about X-ray and think about arthritis and we think about um, fractures, but like there's so much more you can see on X-ray. Um, as I said, we just have to bear in mind that bone itself has to change by a significant amount before you see it on an X-ray. I think it was measured somewhere between thirty and forty percent of a change. So that's actually quite a lot. So unless you're lucky enough to catch things like uh, pedal bone fractures, for example, new ones, they can be very difficult or acute. They can be quite difficult to see unless you're lucky enough just to get yeah. through a fracture line, which mm -hmm. is almost, you know, why we'll take a lot of shots or re-X-ray in a week. It's incredible how dynamic bone is and how quickly it changes. But, um, you know, we, we will look at things now as like lateral feet. We'll look and you can see, like in laminitics, you can see... And again, acute laminitis, you'll see, because usually when you look at a, a lateral foot x-ray now, you'll see it, you'll see the hoof wall and you'll see it, a definite difference between the laminate and the wall. Yeah. And that sometimes becomes a bit, because it, maybe because there's more fluid in it or whatever, but that becomes a bit um, harder to see or a bit indistinct. And that sometimes makes us think, oh gosh, I wonder if that's a, got a little bit of laminitis. Foreign bodies in the feet. Um, we had one actually, which... Uh, was um, a bit of a puzzle, and we discovered that it had a hair bone in the foot, had gone up through the foot. Really? Yeah, it had just a little bit of bone, as thin as a match, yeah. and had gone into the foot and was uh, visible on the x-ray. Not at the first second when you look at it, because it's such an odd thing to see. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, it's a little bone, so that had gone <laughs> up nearly to the bursa. Um, and uh, obviously tumours, um, keratomas, um, and sometimes you're not actually seeing the thing itself, you're seeing no, the effect of it. And I think, I think even most farriers now know, or farriers that are, are educated uh, in these things know that you have a roughened area and it's probably uh, abscessation, yeah. but you get the smooth area yeah. and it's probably yeah, keratoma. A, yeah, a space occupying lesion. It's crazy, you know, how, remember once um, we had a uh, hemangioma, which is like a blood tumour, so it looked like a piece of liver, which was in a foot and sole of a foot, and that was taken out, and the pedal bone looked like a jelly mould. And the tumour you could break up with your finger, it was so soft, and you think... What did you call it? How? No. Hemangioma. So I'm going to be using that right <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use it just, on somebody's Just horse. use That's... it in the, in the right place. No. <laughs> but that was unusual, but you just think... How, how did something that's got the consistency of jelly make the foot, you know, like the bone, like yeah. change shape like that? It's, it's incredible. Oh, I would have liked to have seen that. That's I, I would have to say one of the things is that, uh, as you know, Josie, I have forever pestered you for images um, uh, for three of my books, and you've always kindly helped, Corrective Barry 1, 2, and the latest one, Hoof of the Horse. But of course, one thing I learned is, and, and, and you know, I'd come in and say, do you have any good 
good club foot. And of course, you don't file them as that. You yeah. file them as the client's names. Yeah. And so uh, you've always kindly said, oh, give me a couple of days and I'll yeah. see what I can find yeah. for you. Um, but um, yeah, so no end of your images uh, are used in my book. And even the latest one, uh, quite a few images from these other modes that we've um, yeah. that we've discussed. Now, what I'd like to move on to mm-hmm. is something or someone we have in common. <laughs> so um, just to explain is that my very last apprentice, because I stopped having apprentices last year, was Adam Meehan, uh, Josie's son, Adam. And uh, uh, he's been qualified two or three years yeah. now. Um, he, as an apprentice, was in the Irish team. It must have been a very proud mum that he's representing his country. Very. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. And um, uh, so we have that in common. And so not only do you get pestered by farriers for x-rays, you've also helped out a lot with farriers, both at their diploma level and associate level, haven't you? Yes, Helping them to yeah. understand yeah. Uh, radiographs. So I just wonder how that's been. Has it been as bad as an experience as... <laughs> Well, apart from the smelly clothes and my, my house <laughs> smelling of, um, no, and do you know what? It was, it was really interesting for me because I think what got him into it first was the metal work. And I've always had so much admiration for people who can do things and crafts, I think is incredible. And some of that's because I work with lots of incredibly intelligent people. Um, but I have like somebody who can plaster a wall or make something I just think is amazing um, so I've always been very keen on apprenticeships I think they're great and they did go out of fashion for a while which I thought was a terrible shame mm. because try and find a plumber um, but um, like I had about eight said oh he said I think I might be a farrier and I was like okay whatever Ad. <laughs> but uh, and he started off like, you know, straightening shoes out, yeah. bits of metal in summer holidays, which you probably can't do now, can you? Oh, no, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, not yet. Um, sign him up for insurance. Yeah. Um, and the whole way through, he was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And uh, I was, uh, I'm really proud of what he's done. And I think it's brilliant. Well, um, he's an extraordinary young craftsman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know as a mother you would always believe that but, uh, I've been but pretty, he is I'm, I'm pretty tough on him I have to say the whole way through I've well, he, he, he did well both in his practical yeah. work and in the knowledge side and I'm sure a lot of it was you telling him to get his head in the book and, and uh, you can bet that when he went in there for his exam uh, and at diploma level they are shown radiographs mm. I bet he knew more than his, than his <laughs> examiners <laughs> I think um, I, I, it's you know for me it's like I'm not like saying about helping people with their stuff. I just think it's a privilege to be able to share this information we have um, with people who want to know about it. Well, it, it saves learning everything, taking twenty five years and then you retire, doesn't it? There is a totally. reason for yeah, education that has got better, and and, yeah. and you've been part of that education for farriers. Um, now, there's only one question that I didn't warn you about, and this is what I call the deep philosophical question. Oh, dear. So I'd like you to tell me, uh, what is the most important thing you've learned in your life? Probably that it's about people, I think, and to try, be kind, and to try and get the best and find what's going to work for everybody who's around you. And 
I'm more probably if you said to me someone's going to be difficult, I will try even harder to find something to like and make it work for them. That's very good. That's very kind advice. And as a kind person, it's nothing that I wouldn't expect. Now, um, because we're at the end of the day, you don't have to return to your dark cave, do you? No, I don't. For your bat-like, yeah, no, no, your I'm bat-like life. Yeah, exactly. In there. My chocolate mushroom type yeah. life. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'd really like to thank you, Josie. It's been wonderful. Uh, time has passed really quickly. I know. And uh, we've covered a lot of things. So, uh, firstly, thank you for all your help for Farriers. And thank you for taking part in this podcast. And thank you for asking me. It's a privilege. Thank you. We'd like to thank Hoofcare Essentials Foundation and their partners for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more information at hoofcareessentials.com. You can follow more of Simon's work on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Simon Curtis. To get in contact, please email thehoofofthehorse at gmail.com. And for everything else, go to drsimoncurtis.com. Thanks for listening.